Last night was also a bust because, well, any hopes you had of potentially re-signing Zach Hyman evaporated. And the Seattle expansion draft was a pretty awkward and clunky product. Frank Saravalli went, like, he just went full Adrian Wojnarowski. He was just like, uh, I'm going to do what an insider is going to do, and I'm just going to go and spit hot fire all day long. Name this entire thing. Then he had the perfect Wojnarowski tweet, which was something along the lines of, can't wait to see the birth of the Seattle Kraken tonight after he delivered the baby. Amazing. That was the most entertaining part of the Kraken's draft, was watching Frank just rip through pick after pick after pick and tell you exactly what was going on on Twitter. It was unavoidable. It was everywhere by the middle of the day. I think I looked at it around maybe one thirty-two, and everything other than maybe Detroit and Buffalo and one other team's picks had been revealed. So I don't know how much of the TV product was we knew all the picks. I don't know how much of it is just you have to deal with some of the stuff when it comes to COVID and virtual stuff and whatever, but it just, it, yeah, it was clunky to me. And it, if you're trying to represent something new, I think you want to have something look new, and that just was something played out. That, that felt like you could have just put that in worse definition and told me that this was from the 90s expansions, and I would have said, okay, sure. And I'll tell you this, I'm going to get more into the Kraken with Mike Fuda here in a couple of minutes, an, an actual GM, somebody who knows these things, knows these players more intimately. But my general premise today is that maybe Ron Francis got a little too obsessed with cap space. And not that cap space isn't incredibly valuable and not that he doesn't continue to have this as a weapon and not that it was all or nothing in the one day, but kind of the theme for me with all the Kraken's picks and the way that the Kraken went about their business and the lack of trades is, well, if you're not making any trades and you're not selecting some of the best players out there, like the Philly guy, I have no idea who the hell that is. Philly had like four players that I thought, oh, okay, those could be this guy. No, it went with someone I've never heard of before. And it just seems like maybe you're a little off on the market. What's more likely, that every other general manager has it wrong or that maybe you're asking a little too much for something that you covet? I think organizations can covet all the wrong things. We talk about it often with prospects where we say, oh, these guys value their prospects too highly. Okay. I think you can also value cap space too highly. Just seems that way. When you're passing on guys like Carey Price and you're saying it's about medicals, when we know it's about cap space. When you're passing on superior players and when you're not getting any deals done. Feels like you overvalued cap. And then the Hyman thing comes through. Later at night, all of a sudden, Jason Greger and our Chris Johnston report that he is visiting with the Oilers, but the expectation is, is that he is signing with the Oilers. Everyone should be prepared for this because I feel like sports radio, despite all of the content, all the Stanley Cup playoff coverage... All the NBA finals, all the stuff with the Blue Jays, 
everyone's wanted to know what's going on with Zach Hyman for months and months and months. And all I have to say is this. So, yes, is it a long term? Of course it is. Are people going to say that Edmonton overpaid or Edmonton gave too much term? Edmonton is one of those franchises that hockey fans just love to dunk on. Um, so it feels like they always have to win immensely for anyone to give them any credit for anything outside of Drysaddle and McDavid. So they're already working from a a really tough position from the, the noise standpoint. But all I want to say to people, and it's just a little bit of a reminder, is there were points in the season this year when we were doing shows and when fans were watching games and the Leafs were running hot and everyone was celebrating this team. And one of the biggest topics of conversation was the value of Zach Hyman. And at the time... I kept bringing it up how why would he say that he's going to take way less than six? People were floating stuff around like four million bucks for Zach Hyman. It never made any sense. Why a 29-year-old guy coming off of a career season who is dealing with injuries and who plays in a market where nobody took less was all of a sudden going to be the one who sacrificed everything in order to stay here. I'm guessing that he would have sacrificed something to remain in this market, but when you start kicking around things like seven, eight-year terms at – five and a half potentially plus well no (laughs) there's no you're not taking massive haircuts on deals like that but there seems to be this weird revisionist history thing with Zach Hyman where all of a sudden everyone is well you can't pay a guy like that um hmm you can't pay a guy like the one we were all celebrating in the middle of the year the guy we were all saying was one of the heartbeats of the team the energizer bunny the guy who brought it every single night the guy who represents the few things that the Maple Leafs seem to have the least of. This loss feels bigger to me than it seems to be for everybody else. Where it's just, oh, you're just losing a, a checking forward. This guy was driving the third line. The plan of the season was for him to drive the third line. They needed him to move up. And now the plan appears to be Nick Robertson gets a spot and they got some cap space that they can fill. All right. Just saying, it's going to be harder to make this team better. And losing Zach Hyman sucks. It really sucks. Mike Fuda, someone who actually knows things, someone who actually has experience, someone who's going to tell me I'm an idiot for criticizing the Kraken. I don't know, maybe not. Someone who thinks maybe the Hyman deal is a bad deal. Maybe he's just going to count on everything I just spent. Uh, this is bad because this guy is actually experienced, did the job has the credentials. He joins me now. What's up, man? How you doing? Good. And I promise I have no sandwiches. There's be no breakfast <laughs> yeah, yeah. building in the yeah, background okay. so we can get right to business. Yeah, that's um, right. I, think you can feel, I mean, you obviously, anytime it comes to your discussions on Toronto, your passion comes through. And rightfully so with this player. I mean, he, he's everything that when you talk about with the Leafs' lack in playoff success, you never brought it, him up. You never had to because she was always doing all the little things right. Um, that being said, I did feel there was a bit of a well overblown story that because of, you know, that the family's well off, uh, he trained on trial gave him his first chance, that this guy was going to take a major haircut to stay a leaf. And I do believe that that culture that was bred, that everybody got paid a lot before they won, it kind of leaks into this one. And he's, I don't think... When you go down, I don't know how many guys you can find in the league that actually do what he does consistently on a 1998 basis. So it actually makes 
his cap number a little higher than with his uh, matching up with his offensive production because you can throw a lot of players at so-called defensive specialists with star players and they just basically shut the line down uh, because they can't keep up them skill-wise. But in Zach's place, it was almost like we need to get a line going. We better put Zach on that line to get them going. So it was more than just um, he was going to be, you know, obviously when you play with two exceptionally skilled players and you have his mindset, you're kind of defensive consciousness of the line. Um, but I also felt that it takes a lot to have that defensive conscience and as well go to the dirty areas to score. And, you know, he, he didn't, I mean, I'm sure the analytics people are the, just, just the replays of his goals. There's a lot more workmanlike goals than there are um, ESPN highlight real goals, but those ones count. And they're more, they're more kind of the goals that count in the playoffs. So, I mean, if it's true that he's gone to Edmonton, of course, I mean, it's obviously true. I mean, the guys are reporting on screw around. I don't know the exact number yet, but you got to just think that guys like that is up because he can skate with guys like he's obviously skate with McDavid's a tough sentence to say, but he can keep up with those guys, provide defensive accountability whenever he's out there. And again, he's going to continue to score goals that they, Evans on the team that always is preaching in secondary scoring on top of dry idle and, um, and, and Connor, you know, you just added a piece that's going to improve every ounce of your every ounce of your defensive consciousness with that team really needs. Now, the only thing I think with Edmonton is they've been hit. So it surprises me, and Kenny would know much better than I what they have capitalized. But it seems like they've just had a bomb go off in their defensive core, uh, losing Larson, potentially Barry. I believe they traded. Uh, Caleb Jones is part of the a trade earlier um, to get the they added Duncan Keith, right? So, and I mean Duncan Keith's going to help, but if, if there's a big drop off, there's still a lot of question marks there. So they got some work in the back end, and I still going to bat. And I said the other night, it's not a it's not a, a negative context. There's certain goaltenders you just feel much better about when you're on the cusp of winning the Stanley Cup, and I just don't think that as, Mike, as good as Mike Smith was during the, the regular season, I don't think he puts that kind of fear into teams going into a playoff spot, especially with the, unless they really markedly improve their defensive posture. Spending all that money on Zach Hyman, although I think he's worth it, I don't know if that's the right team to be doing it. I think that's a really fair point. Um, I just don't... You're right. There's a lot of holes on that roster. And this actually just kind of reminds me of Hyman's going from one Toronto to another. Not all the same problems, but just you're very, very top-heavy. You've clearly got some things that are at in your roster that every team in the NHL would covet, right? The Matthews, the Marners, the McDavids, the Dreisaitl's. Like, you've, you've got those things. That's awesome. So getting those pieces and having some certainty that... Hyman is someone that can either play up your lineup or play down your lineup. And like you said, he's just a fixer. You know, you put him on a line that isn't going. You can trust that he's going to be productive. He's going to be Zach Hyman no matter where you put him. But also, like, there's this whole discussion around who the Leafs could get to replace him. And some of the names that have been floated around, you're you're taking risks on certain guys saying, well, you hope that this guy can play up the lineup or you hope this guy can play with elite talent. You know Zach Hyman can. But you're right. Both these teams, like... They just mirror each other in certain ways. I like Toronto's goaltending a bit better, I guess, because 
I like Campbell as a full season is a little bit of a mystery. But yeah, you keep doing the load up at the top thing, and it really leaves a lot to be desired with the rest of your roster. You look at the team that's just one back to back. Yeah, I mean, as glaringly as the tic tac toe and the skill level they have in their elite, you know, core forwards, that defense is built masterfully. It's big, it's nasty, it's smart enough to know to move the puck quickly and get the puck to the skilled forwards. And then you've got arguably the best goaltender in the world. So these teams that that want to be at that level don't even aren't even close to mirroring the team that you got to knock off at the top as far as particular defensive depth and goaltending. So it'll, it'll be interesting. So the only other thing with, with a deal like that you have to take in, and it's a catch-22 because it's what you love about him, but when you play as hard as Zach Hyman does mm-hmm. on term, eventually like, there are certain guys that never hurt because they always do the creative shot block lane with the flame, whatever they call it, the flamingo. They never get hit. They never get hurt. He plays so hard. Uh, and gets in and takes every shot line out and finishes every check. But sometimes, as you get older, your body sends it. And he's obviously had some nicks and pains over the last little bit here due to hard play. That you, if you if he's not in the lineup, that cap number makes no sense. And the odds are, with his shot blocking history and and his warrior like attitude, that sometimes sometimes you're not going to be in the lineup. And you hope you don't sustain any kind of long term injury with how hard you do play the game. Allen Wayne Simmons. His yeah. yeah, I hope so too. My only pushback to this, and because it's a obvious, like it's a obviously good point to make about Hyman and longevity and being 29 and what's going on with the knees. Like, yes, making a bet eight years down the line with that is is really tough. My only counter is I I do feel as though Zach Hyman is the kind of guy that when he is in your lineup, he is going to give you everything. And oh, yes, maybe to his detriment at times, but that I. I prefer gambling on players with a track record of always working their ass off. And oh, absolutely, absolutely. Like if exactly, if you're going to give somebody the bag, if you're going to give somebody big money, because this keeps like I was talking about this with a friend just yesterday in a private conversation about how you know, they talk about fighters all the time leading into this Conor McGregor fight. Our friend Ariel Hawani came on the show and he quoted a boxer. I can't remember who the boxer was, but he said, it's harder to get up and hit the pavement when you're waking up in satin sheets. And I think the same thing has to apply to free agents. And I especially think that things have to apply when, you know, you can see where I'm going with this. uh, When restricted free agents who haven't won anything yet still get max amount of money in term and everything handed to them before they've actually won something. And so part of the risk of signing free agents is, hey, are you actually going to get the same guy you did before the contract? And again, I feel like Zach Hyman, maybe I'm wrong, uh, maybe I'm wrong, but feels less likely that you're going to give him money and then all of a sudden he's going to be a different player. So um, how does Toronto get better, Mike? Because like we both really like Hyman and now they have some cap space. They don't have as much as maybe we all thought they were going to if Kerfoot got off the books. Like Dubas protected this roster. And we can get to that in a little bit, but where do you see the first path to improvement, whether it's using your cap space or making a trade? Well, I would be wherever he's at. I'd be driving right to Mick Foligno's house and uh, making sure that he he's going to still be a part of the fold. I mean, uh, I, I trumpeted that trade when it happened last year. And it's the worst scenario for any kind of general manager. We did it. We we added Andre Secura, who's no Nick Foligno, uh, a week before or two weeks before the deadline, and he immediately blew his leg out and couldn't play, which clearly 
I still think a healthy Nick Foligno, I hate beating up the Montreal series, but I think if they have a healthy Nick Foligno, they, they get through they get through that series and allow Tavares a chance to heal. I just think he represents everything that they need. Um, he's obviously an older version, uh, but uh, he, I think he alone is the one guy that I call him 20. There's certain, there's certain leaders. Um, and I don't want to be too, there's certain leaders that their entire disposition changes when their game isn't going well. Right. It's just a natural thing. It's a, I don't, it's not, if Eichel's not, if Eichel, okay, these are, these are talking about cap guys that actually wear the seat, right? When their game, individual game isn't going well, they lose the ability to lead because they're really concerned about themselves. Mm-hmm. For me, Nick Foligno is a 24-7 leader. If Nick Foligno's having a bad game, he's from that old school realm that he knows to go out and grab somebody, you know, do something that's not game-related to change the mental. He, he, brings, he brings the fight to the game, and uh, I, I just think that he becomes such a, prolific piece for the Leafs now. I don't think if Hyman was back that they would have had the money to go after Nick, uh, I think now. And it also, you're not erasing a, a wrong or anything, but it also allows you to make more justification out of what you gave up in the first place because he doesn't leave yep. the tent. Uh, but I just, a player like that becomes critical to me. I don't know what other names you were bouncing around about. I mean, like, obviously guys like Blake Coleman and stuff are going to be up for big raises. Um, guys that just play two ways. I mean, uh, I mean, to know now is probably just licking his chops, knowing that that's what Hyman got. You know, I know what I'm in the Browns for, whether somebody's going to give it to him or not. But it's an interesting, I think that conscious decision now to bring in somebody that has that it factor, which Hyman has, which Felino clearly has. Again, it would be like, I hear stuff like, oh, you know, God, the Leafs linked to Tarasenko. That is the last thing the Leafs need right now. No, I, I don't think it's it, 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 And I, I know that, but it seems to be, but they're not doing it. But I mean, when you hear them linked, like there's, you've got a guy that, you know, struggled to be a good teammate in St. Louis, but he, um, but he can just shoot the puck, immensely shoot the puck, and that's, and that's his game. And he plays when he wants to, but when he plays, it's pretty remarkable. Um, pretty remarkable way he can pull off, but... They need to have guys that fit into that chemistry factor that they say they have, and guys that can, you know, really keep driving home that point. To uh, Matthews doesn't need it. Marner certainly needs it. Just to, you know, Nylander looked like he was starting to get it, but that this team just doesn't take any step backward from hunger factor. I I love the Flino ideal. I've been trumpeting at it for a while now. I was also a big fan of the trade. Um, it it just seems there's at least a lot of rumblings. He wants to go to Minnesota and play with his brother. And if you have to overpay for Nick, I don't, I don't know at this stage of his career. But to me, the the whole goal of the offseason for Kyle Dubas needs to be we're remaking this third line into a line that has an identity. And if that identity starts with Nick Foligno playing on the left wing of a third line uh, and with the possibility of with an injury he can play up or if a Robertson thing doesn't work out, he can play up. I think that you've started in a good position. So what about just the protections with the draft? Because a lot of people have been criticizing Kyle Dubas for making the McCann trade, giving up Hallander in a seventh, which who cares, but ultimately losing Jared McCann and protecting the roster that maybe had he done things a little bit differently if they were interested in Kerfoot, yeah, add a couple of guys um, to your protection list that are forwards and you expose... Um, Kerfoot only and no McCann. Uh, my counter to it was, 
I, I still believe that Justin Hall is more valuable than McCann to this team because he makes two million bucks. But then when I saw the list of defensemen that Seattle chose and who they were picking from, I wondered and said, well, maybe this actually comes down to would the Kraken have taken Justin Hall? So that's kind of a two-part question for me. Is like, what did you think of Kyle Dubas's job when it came to protections in the McCann situation? And two is, do you think that Justin Hall, when you look at the Kraken's roster, would have been their pick over Kerfoot had they both been exposed? It's a, it's a tough question uh, because there's so many moving parts to it. But I'll give it a shot here. First of all, you always love your you love your own more than others. I mean, we there are certain players when we were in Los Angeles that we just coveted that that's incredible, and we were like, wow, if we ever put him on the market, can you imagine the door be beaten down and other teams? And then when it came to getting on the phone, you just found out that other teams just didn't feel as strongly about that player as you do. So you tend to you tend to love your own and respect your own a little bit more than the people on the outside looking in. And that's how you have to make a trade. You have to find somebody that loves what you got as much as you love it um, to, to make a deal make any sense. Now, clearly, in Kyle's case, they, they feel strongly about that. So you can criticize, but they feel strongly about it. I mean, I personally think he's done well, and I think for the amount of minutes he plays whole and, and, and his number, and clearly being a great teammate, that you know it makes sense to try and keep him now. They, they obviously feel the same way about Kerfoot as well. So I think if if if, if you if you don't want to lose, I guess they would have exposed. Uh, uh, they would have exposed. Um, they would have exposed Hall. Who in the back end? Who in the back end was still available? Puck moving so. deep. Puck. But I think what they've done for a seventh round pick, basically what I'm saying, if you give up a seventh round pick and a prospect that's not part of your plans. To yeah. allow you to maintain a roster that internally as a staff, you say these guys we want to keep and build from, then it's a smart move. And it's, 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 like it's not a bad toll to pay to keep, your, to keep the guys you wanted to protect to protected. Now you can debate amongst yourselves whether they were, those guys are worth protecting. Um, mm-hmm. But that's what they decided as a group. And you know what? Now they have to build out from there. And they've got some added cap space to add some pieces. I still, I still think personally that. I mean, getting another goaltender is critical. I love it. So as much as we beat up and how much we love Jack, I think they need another goaltender that either challenges Jack or, or is at least on par with him as far as the back end. They, I think they need to add some another solid, solid defense. I know I, I always keep hearing we need another top six forward. I don't, I don't believe that. I would take, I would take Nick Foligno a hundred times over another top. Like I think he's such a bigger fit right now, particularly than a guy like a a Taylor Hall or anything like that, that you've got to have that, that leadership and conscience that's a 24-7 leader, uh, and that's what I call him, Nick Foligno, what he brings to a dressing room. And then there's a lot of room to do. I mean, you look at that Kraken roster right now, and I mean, I agree with you. It's like, hmm. But I truly think there's a lot more movement that's going to take place prior to with that. And off that roster, the way it looks when they drop the puck against Vancouver, then I think... You know, rightfully so, there might be some eyebrows raised, but that right now, there's I think there's a lot more moving pieces than people know about. Okay, thank you. So I tried to stay. Yesterday, I, I was with family. You know, it was a day where I got to visit with a lot of people outside and give myself some space from just the, tw- the Twitter discourse around the Kraken. And I was watching the event, but I was also watching the Jays at the same time and kind of like flipping back and forth to looking at the two things. But ultimately, when I looked at the Kraken roster, I thought, huh, okay. Um, 
And I don't know if you heard any of my diatribe off the top of the show, but Ron Francis kept saying over and over and over again that he very much valued cap space, and that was very evident to me with that roster. Um, what did you just make of the job he's done so far, like those picks, that team? Because, yeah, I like I don't know who you're – like are you selling Mark Giordano to Seattle? Like I don't know who the – to the faces of this right now? It's, well, first off, I mean, Dave has been a, a bust anyways with the team kind of yeah. being announced. As far as uh, must-see TV, it was not, in my opinion, and it's such a beautiful city, but yeah, uh, just in general, I felt it was like, you know, between guys going up and not knowing, I mean, you can at least, if you got one job to do, at least and pronounce the guy's name properly. Like No, it was had, a horrible television event. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know how it was so bad. If you've got to play a cue card in your hand for 10 minutes, you can have somebody <laughs> tight with on the other side. It wasn't like they were opening up Oscar award-winning things and rather be surprised the first time to see it. But it was, yeah. in, in, gen- in general, I just felt there was some, like, for an organization that I think is going to be and the one thing I do know, they're going to have a class. incredible facility, incredible staff. I mean, they've got money to spend everywhere, so they're not going to be an organization that cheaps it. I don't think they're going to be thrilled with the way that they came across uh, from just the optics um, and, and the lack of surprises. Um, that being said, I think there's some good young pieces. I do think in the back end, there's some players that I really, like I love the electric pickup. I think Larson was starting to come into his own. Clearly, I thought Gio, you know, dear to my heart, he's uh, he's going to provide them that leadership. And on a, I think that inspiring contract, if they're not where they need to be, they're going to get a first and something for him. Uh, I would be surprised if they have trades already done for any of the guys that were on the stage there. I think that would be that would be a very non good start if you're bringing in a guy that you know you've got a side deal trade done with to go walk out in your jersey, that would be problematic for me. So I would think that if there are deals to be made, it probably involves somebody that wasn't on that stage. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but it would be, I, everybody says at 1 o'clock you're going to hear, there's not so many that we got, um, you know, like what, we got a two first or we got a player in this to take this player, but there's going to be a lot of this player is being moved for this. Um, mm-hmm. Now, as you said, First time they saw, I don't know what you said, the first time I saw the Vegas thing, I was like, wow, you know, they would have just a sack of grinders, right? Where, who's yeah. going to score on that team? Yeah. And, and, and they found a way to come together. Now, this group, kind of very similar. I like the, I like the defense that they can put together. Uh, I love the fact they picked up Curtis McDermott, who's a legit heavy, heavyweight, but I have no idea. I think the guy said he's a third-line left winger, and I'm like, holy smokes, he hasn't played wing <laughs> since Kiwis, but... It's just, uh, it's just, again, doing your homework, and I, I think there's going to be some, they're going to have cap space to add a couple of veterans to make this product better, but uh, Ronnie's a very meticulous thinker, and uh, they would have put a lot of thought and effort into it, but again, you can't, I think this one's way too, I think like they're just putting the brush to the uh, to the board here, so I don't think you can evaluate the painting yet. It's just, uh, you can, everybody, that's our job to have opinions of it, but I think this, this one's far from being done, even for what you're going to see against Vancouver on open night. Yeah, and I'm trying to hold back hot takes because, one, part of the lesson that I think we learned with Vegas was there were a lot of really good players in this league that not a lot of people know about, you know? So 
um, making these like quick judgments of, well, that pick stinks or that pick is this or that pick is that it, it can come back to bite you in the ass. Right. So there's some of these guys that I have really no feeling of like Philadelphia, the pick from Philadelphia I looked at and really was shocked by because they had multiple pieces that I thought were, yeah, at least guys who I know and I'm familiar with and would have thought, okay, they're going to go with this. They, they went in a different direction, whatever. So, I get that. The only part of me that looks at the Vegas thing, because I did look at Vegas's roster yesterday. I think actually Tim and Friends put up a graphic of them side by side. It was like, uh-huh. who did better? And you look at that original Vegas roster, and it is as unsexy as it gets. And you have to remember that, hey, they didn't have Mark Stone when they drafted that team. They didn't draft Mark Stone. They didn't draft Max Pacioretty, right? Like, they, they've made pieces. They, Petrangelo, exactly. Like, they moved things around, and some guys ended up being studs, and some guys were misevaluated by their former franchises, and maybe they're going to mine some gold. The one difference, and I was talking about this with Mark Mathot yesterday because he was – technically drafted by Vegas, but then he was one of those guys that got flipped, was how when you did have Marc-Andre Fleury, there was at least a signaling to those guys that some urgency with this roster was there, that you were trying to win, that you were trying to kind of put your best foot forward because you had a good goaltender, a veteran goaltender, and someone who is like universally respected around hockey. And, And I really thought they had a similar thing of, yeah, you can go get Carey Price and you can build that same piece of hey, we are building something here for the future, absolutely, but we also want to win now. We want to have a face to sell, to put on tickets, to put on the side of the building. You bring a new hockey fan down to Seattle, and you say, that right there is one of the best goaltenders in the world, and that's the face of our franchise. And what that does in the room, what that does to the city, what that does to the live event, and I don't know. We, I don't have Carey Price's medical reports. You don't have them. Um, it is a hefty cap hit, but to me... That that was the one place where I, I'm already ready to criticize them for. I, I'm already willing to say, without again seeing those medical records, that missing on an opportunity to get a guy who is one of the most respected in the game and who can still bring it at that A-level talent as we just saw in the Stanley Cup Finals for a bunch of backups and what could be's was a really tough thing to swallow if I have any rooting interest in Seattle. That's fair. I think... Um... I think I'm going to hold off until I see what exactly the this like, unless there is some additional compensation and that there was Carey Price was significantly injured, which I felt was a bit of a the timing of it had a little bit of a different aroma to it. But the other thing I would say is I think that's an area where I clearly agree with it being a strong free goaltending free agency group. If they add another piece now, like a five million dollar goaltender, that's a legit number one. Um, then I feel a little bit better about it. I mean, if they if they're starting season in offense, it's good, looks good on Dredger and I mean, it was Decord and like Metallic or something out of Washington. But I mean, if yeah. that's your starting three, then I'm hang on with you. And that's the one position that you can send a message um, to everybody that we're gonna we're, at least we're gonna have a chance to be in every game because we got a proven proven commodity. And no, and no offense, Dredger could end up being what he is, but he's got sure. such a small sample size that that's a major major crapshoot. So now, if all of a sudden they roll out one of these top free agent goaltenders, then I feel a little bit better about it, or they have a trading place to add a, to add a goaltender that's going to make you go, okay, now that, that makes sense. But I really felt there was very little downside um, to and tons of upside to taking Carey Price, and I was mm-hmm. especially seeing what else was available. Um, mm-hmm. no, no offense to who was chosen. Uh, 
But uh, no, I agree with you 100. percent But I, I wouldn't. I don't beat it up too much till I have the entire uh, entire evidence of what happened. But I do think it having his name and that would have been an instant. I mean, as much as I love Geo, um, Carey Price is the first ballot Hall of Famer who just came up taking a team to a Stanley Cup again. You know, are probably going to be Canada's Olympic goalie again. Uh, so there was, there's no sign like signs that he's not quite on the other side of the mountain yet. So it'd be quite interesting to see if there's more of a story for that one. Yeah, um, that's why you are a front office executive, and I am a sports radio host because you're calm and you're waiting for information to come in, and I'm just going to shoot my mouth off. <laughs> I'm just going to see a thing and react to it immediately. Uh, that's uh, why I am where I am. So last one before you go. Um, so Kerfoot doesn't get selected. It is McCann. Uh, I have one more two-part question for you. One is, do you see a real significant gap between those two players in terms of value around the league? And two... Do you think Kerfoot is an asset that Toronto could trade for something of consequence, considering the lack of depth around center position in the NHL? Uh, it all it all depends on how it falls out with free agency. I mean, you know, Denal is still out there. You know, you've got. You know, we have nobody's really figured out unless I've missed something like Landis Cog to me, I think is like a gold mine. Uh, if you're looking for a veteran, I think Cretchy still has stuff left in his game. It depends where you're at. I think the one thing I will say is Kerfoot, I, I was impressed with his playoffs. Um, mm-hmm. I've never been like a huge Kerfoot guy. Uh, I, I love some of his games in Colorado. I felt he just couldn't, very similar to Tyson Berry, couldn't get his, his wheels under him and and Toronto and on a team that's loaded with so many people that we compliment, sometimes he takes a bit of a beating. Um, but I, I like this game in the playoffs. And I think they obviously, they, they like his speed and his tenacity. So, uh, yeah, I mean, like it's not like, again, like, I mean, I know Toronto fans get, but I mean, McCann, I mean, it's, he literally made it sound like he was just about to have the statue put out front with those other statues in front of the, Scotiabank Club. He hadn't even done when he'd been in the city yet. <laughs> there was, I think, there was a little bit of an added cream of the crop. They did get him for a seventh and a prospect, so he's a good player. Um, mm-hmm. I think he's going to go and he's going to be productive. But I mean, there's still, there's still. You look out there, you know, the staff needs the gram, and there's some good sentiment out there. So I, I think you're going to have to see how the market settles before you see somebody throwing the. And now you have to justify. So what is the, what is the, what is the value of Kerfoot? Like, I mean, mm-hmm. I think in, in the least case, it's not like something they're just going to get a draft pick back because the window to, you know, the window to win is fully wide open. And just yeah. adding, just adding a, a, a numerical draft pick and not something that's going to help you on the line. Uh, now, if they could add a defenseman that I think, you know, is kind of a, a four or five or in that area that's going to be really valuable. Because right? I think I've, don't, I've heard nothing about whether a Bogosian or anything is coming back. They obviously think Sandine's ready for a bigger jump um, in the lineup, um, but it's it'll be interesting. I mean, you don't want to you don't want to come in next year underarmed, going back into your own division because uh, that could get nasty in a hurry. Uh, here, here. I just again, when you look at the list of free agents, the lack of activity before this expansion draft. Um, I guess everybody has to be patient, 
But yeah, well, the you movement as you lose in your stud winger is like. Well, I'm, not, I'm not telling you the names that I heard yesterday and late into the evening that, that are now being shocked and talked about. Like there's some massive, massive moves being discussed. Now, what they get, whether they get pulled off, mm-hmm. but I think after 1 p.m. today, it's going to be especially, um, for example, teams that are insisting, i.e., the, the Buffalo Sabres insisting that a first-round pick in this year's draft uh, has to be a part of a Jack Eichel package. Well, you've really shrunk the window considering that pick's going to be made Friday night, I believe. Yep. Uh, you've got to figure out, convince people that he's got a good neck and put together a package for five or six pieces that you want. That's uh, the, the time you're on the clock there, but there's some big names being chopped, and I, I don't know what Toronto's situation is, what you're looking for, but Mm-hmm. I would assume that there's a free agent's standpoint. The only thing I would guarantee, I can't guarantee it, but I, I was there, I'd guarantee it. I'd be doing Nick Foligno, whatever Nick Foligno needs to stay and be a part of the team. Okay, so last one now, the new last one. One, where do you think Eichel goes? And two, tell us some of those big names. Uh, I'll just leave it at Eichel. Uh, I'm not going to get into the other ones. <laughs> Oh, that's rude. That is rude. That's like when you say to someone, like, I know a big secret, and they just walk away, like, oh, I, I got something I got to tell you. And then you're like, no, I can't say. And then you walk no, away. It's no, like, no, no, that's almost like saying, listen, I got two last questions, and you get two questions, and then you come Yeah, up that's right. Hey, time. listen, this is my show, though. I make the rules. Like, that's the thing. You're here. You're in my chair. I'll, like, I'll go on your show. I'll play by the rules. I won't follow up. I won't change the questions. Like, that's fine. Like, we'll keep it at that, right? That's fair. Keep it together. I didn't have any breakfast noise in the background. I followed. Yeah, that's the rules. right. See, exactly. You're already following the rules. Uh, Mike Fuda, you're the best man. Thanks for making time today. Pleasure, my friend. Have a great day. Take care, pal. Okay, let's get some action because boy, so far, <sighs> um. If you're a Seattle Kraken fan, so far the face of your franchise is Mark Giordano, Jordan Eberle, and Yanni Gord, who, yes, awesome player in Tampa. First line center, Tampa didn't win because of that. So, would be real nice if we could see some deals. But, just to wrap that up, and, well, I shouldn't say wrap it up. I'll bring more up later. Mike's right. The overreaction to losing McCann was obviously going to happen because this is Toronto. So fans should not make any apologies for that. Who cares if you think Jared McCann is better than is the second coming, that he's way better than Kerfoot despite people not having seen him and relying on a few different pieces of information that are filtered out by... People who are controlling narratives. I think that they're pretty close. They're pretty close. That's why they're close in pay. And one guy is better offensively, but the other guy just showed more in the playoffs than McCann ever did. So I, I don't think it's the biggest deal. I just think that 600K is big for the Leafs and that some kind of change to your roster needs to happen. And I'm starting to wonder if the standing pat is going to be much more aggressive than we ever envisioned. Because you look at the free agent market and you say, well, what would Toronto spend money on if Hyman's gone? And really, if you're against Mike's idea of bringing back Nick Foligno, 
I just want to know who you think would be better here. It's a lot of older players. They're not in the mix for guys like Dougie Hamilton. So where are you go? You're not in the mix for Landeskog, obviously. I don't know why that was even a possibility. Like, look at what Landeskog wants. You're not going up and paying another forward more money like that. Who's the unrestricted free agent that you feel makes this team better? I like Kyle Palmieri, but it seemed like he didn't want to come to Canada during last season. And he's going to come at a price tag, too. Seems like he wants to go back. Who Who is the player? Where are they getting better through free agency? It doesn't seem like there are a ton of options out there. So, um, I don't know. I don't know what to make of this. But it's pretty quiet, and hopefully this thing heats up today and tomorrow and over the coming days. What did the Leafs lose in McCann? Do you feel as though he was a guy that was worth protecting? Well, yeah, well, I got to see him a lot, yeah. And and, and I think he's been... I think he's been good. He was good as a Penguin. Like, I think he was. Mm-hmm. his play was up and down. But if when you put him in the right spot, which I think they they found once Malkin went out and it was on the power. Like, listen, this guy has, like, an elite heavy shot. Like, he can rip the puck. He's... Uh, more tenacious than I thought he was coming out of Florida. Like he has, you know, more sandpaper to his game than I thought. Um, you know, he, he's, he's tenacious on pucks and battles. He's uh, a guy that can score goals. So, you know what, he was fairly valuable here for, for the Penguins. And I know in making that trade, it was kind of a, you know, you know, pick your, po- pick your poison for Seattle, like, you know, trying to, you know, secure guys that they left that unprotected to possibly not be selected, right? Like Kerfoot, I don't know, like, you know, maybe it was a little decoy um, strategy with that. And, you know, if that was their strategy, it worked. But um, a guy that I think, you know, is super versatile too in the lineup, like he can play wing, he can play center, he can play up in the lineup, he can play down in the lineup. Um, just a little bit erratic with the production. <clears throat> but there's no doubt when they found like a good recipe or spot for him that he could he could create and score and produce. Um, and he kind of got that going by being on the power play, on that top unit power play. And I guess they call it. Oh, we just lost you. Just lost him. Well, I'll tell, I'll say this, like, as we lost him is, uh, this couldn't be going worse. And I know Colby's like a positive guy and he does see the best in things, but holy crap. Those are a lot of things that the Maple Leafs needed. <laughs> Depth guy who could score, play a couple positions, and the power play stuff, finding him a role in the power play. Um, some of you who follow this Maple Leafs team might recall that uh, the power play was a sore spot last year. It was not great. And so if you're going to lose Hyman, you need some production somewhere on the wing, and you need somebody who can play in the middle. And again, with a crap power play. I shouldn't say crap power play, but a power play that really underperformed last year. Um, losing a guy like that, maybe it is worse. I guess, like, the question, Colby, that it comes down to is, like, they had a defenseman in Justin Hall who's two million bucks, and yeah. he can play in your top four, and everybody now is playing the game of Hall isn't worth it, and Hall stinks, and Hall's this, and Hall's that, and he needs Muzzin, but ultimately, two million bucks for a top four D-man is a yeah. really, really good thing to have, especially with the certainty of it, but you again, like he's someone where you just weigh in. Like, do you think that you'd rather have McCann at that number, which is sub three, or Hall at two? 
especially considering what was there for the Kraken on the blue line. Like, there, there kind of is a case that maybe they wouldn't have taken Hall. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I don't know. I was like, you'd read uh, Justin Bourne's tweets about, you know, kind of the underwhelming feeling of the Seattle draft. I kind of get that Dude, feeling. It's brutal. I kind of get that feeling big time and seeing the players that were available, but it comes down to GM Olympics, man. This is all salary cap. This is all, um, you know, teams also figuring out from Vegas and, you know, some of these, you know, side deals that I think, you know, Vegas really cleaned up on also. But, um, yeah, I mean, you know, bringing it back, <clears throat> I think when you look at the defensemen that they acquired, I, I think they might not have taken Hall considering, you know, the guys that they took and, and maybe would have went in the direction anyways of of McCann anyway. I, I think, you know, that's what that's what I would have done probably, the exact same thing they did. But um I think Hall I think I think it's smart to keep Hall. I think it's smart to keep his potential of what he can be on the back end and how good he can be there. So Yeah, it's interesting. Like like tell me this. Do you do you like do you like like I know it's exciting with the new franchise and the expansion draft and everything. And like, like I said, the GM Olympics and, you know, all these teams getting squeezed. And like, I, I, I think it's going to be crazy in the next few days once, you know, with all the trades that are going to start to come down with teams because cap, cap space is king, right? And, and mm-hmm. you know, that's unfortunately exactly what the league is now. And it's not like, you know, well, we got this player. Oh, he's so good. It's like, yeah, we got this player, but he, <laughs> he's good, but he sucks because of his cap number or he's good. And we'd love to have them, but we can't. So it's like, so what's going on? Like, what's going to happen to all these RFAs that maybe aren't going to get qualified uh, and are going to just slide out into no man's land? And then we're going to see all the older veteran guys with, like, literally PTOs probably just because no one can fit in anywhere. Like, it's just yeah. it's just crazy to see the league like that when you have, like, good quality players all over the place on every team and everyone's just trying to, like, crunch numbers and, like, like nerds you know it's just like it, it's crazy to see so that's the league right now that's it's what it NHL's is and fault. that's what the expansion does and this is what we're at with the cap and the flat cap and yep. corona and everything and it's just like hammering every team every player affected uh contracts that are like okay are awful and you know contracts that are bad are really really bad and it's just like you know hyperventilates everything so I don't know, it's kind of crazy just as, like, a hockey guy, like, a fan of the game. And, like, I just think, like, if I'm a fan, like a Leafs fan, and I'm watching and I like my team, I'm going, okay, not the success that we would have wanted. Okay, we got these extra guys. Okay, we got McCann. What's the potential of this? And then you look at the cap, and you're like, oh, my God, like, we got all these guys. It's always to the cap with the Leafs, right? Because they got all these young guys that are getting paid, and there's, like, all these other guys that are on the fringes that you look at Tampa's depth, 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 depth. That's all we talk about. And now all these guys are getting squeezed out. Like, everyone's gone. Boom, gone. So, yeah. like, who do you? So you just cheer for the guys that make the most money, and then it went in a few years when that contract is awful, you just yeah. he's gone. Get rid of him, no, dude. It's we'll be the island. The NHL, Anything. the NHL is the dumbest league. It's the dumbest league, and they had zero vision for this, and they've had zero willingness to move off of the current position. But it's something I hammer home time and time and time again. The NBA has a salary cap, right? But they also yeah. have mechanisms that allow you to pay up into a luxury tax, right? So you can yeah. go beyond the cap. It's not a hard cap. The NFL are non-guaranteed contracts, which you would never see in the NHL. I'm not advocating for that system here. It's different with 53-man rosters and, and cycles of, 
uh, how long NFL players last and more money up for all these different things. There's reasons why you, you can't have that yeah. system. But when people say, well, the NHL is a salary cap league just like everywhere else, it's like, no, 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 no. They're not hard cap leagues like that. They don't have any type of escapes. In the NHL, you pay somebody, yeah. you give them a bad contract, you're completely screwed. You have to pray that they go on LTIR. There's no other way for you to get relief. And it doesn't go up enough each year where you can actually end up doing even before the pandemic like it wasn't going up in crazy every year was the same story with the well you know they thought the cap was going to go up more and it didn't <laughs> you go okay because that's what well, happened here in pittsburgh for example yeah. like you know you trade mccann okay you there's a contract out uh, you expose you you protect carter who's you know what is he 37 30 37 years old yeah and it's like okay, he has one year left on his deal, which is what they look at, and it's great. But then you, you just signed the year before Tanev, and I know they got new guys in there and GMs and Hextall, and it's not their signing, but it, like you got this guy for you know five more years at three and a half and wildly popular. Like Tanev is a wildly popular guy here because he, he just plays hard. He plays like every shift like really hard. The Pens really do lack that. And then all of a sudden, you know, they they expose it because it's like a five year tie up of this money where they're they're like ah, I don't know like like how do you first of all you like Tanev you like him but you're like ah, I don't know get this contract like let's just they'll they'll take it it was either him Dude, or or sucks. Zucker who they left yeah. off the thing and it's like uh, you know pick your poison on the contract that we want to get rid of that's all it was Dude, you know? it's the number one league for talking about contracts like people yeah, talk it about is. it in baseball because you have budgets and you go wow okay you know this but. Think about it. Whose contract do you actually really know in baseball unless it's a huge free agent? Plus so who's the most important runway. player on your team? Who's the most – or in your organization? It's your GM. It has to be your GM and your cap guy. Like, that's it right yeah. now. Like, if you've got well, the best GM and the best cap guy, you can, like, you know, manipulate this and finagle these deals and work this and, and figure out all so these angles. There's only so there much you can do, so much you can do but you can manage it the best way with your prospects and build it the best. Mm-hmm. Like that's like that's how it is now. The problem with the NHL and the salary cap thing is that people don't mind it, and it doesn't seem to be like I love. Canadian teams going deep for the standpoint of everybody yeah. has rooting interest. But the idea that Montreal made it to a Stanley Cup finals this year is hilarious. Like, because let's be honest, the team was meh. And did they get hot and did they play well and did they get good goaltending? And yes, all those things are true. Like, so relax, Montreal fans. But like, teams that should be in the Stanley Cups, teams that should be in the finals of games, you shouldn't feel like are in year two of the, like, with their rookie guy coming in there and looking yeah. like one of the team's best player right away, you're supposed to be like the Tampa Bay Lightning, loaded, deep, yeah. strong in every area. Balance. Yeah, right. And and so this competitive balance, balance thing. Point. But it's so dumb. Like, to me, it's an easy fix, and I'm an idiot, so I don't know how this works, and these GM or these owners seem to love it, but all you need to do is have a luxury tax where you penalize the teams. You have repeater taxes just like you have in the NBA. The money trickles down to the poorer owners. If the poorer owners end up having good teams, then they end up having a year where they can really push some of that money into the middle and have some fan pressure, and the teams that are relevant and that fans actually care about in this sport end up spending more money every year. There's more money going to the league. There's more money going into 
the players' pockets. Everybody's happier. Fans are happier. Everybody's happier. And they want to stick with this stupid system where everybody judges every player by their cap number and what the guy is. And, like, this is the most frustrating part about this. And, and this is the last time I'm going to talk about it from uh, the Carey Price angle. Well, buddy, I've been doing, I've been doing yeah. three shows in a oh, row. Yeah, like, cap, cap is one of my passions. Like, I, I can't stand it. It's, it, it. This has come up. If you listen to the show, you know I've done this rant before or something, like, close to it. But I'll say the last thing about Carey Price with this thing. Like, this, this really was another tipping point of me just being so pissed off that Carey Price would be available to a brand-new franchise oh. that's trying to sell new people on hockey fans. And... You don't take them, and it's because and and hockey fans almost unanimously are like, buddy, don't even talk about it because Carey Price's number is so bad. And but buddy, why are you even I bringing know. this up? Like nobody's going to take him. It's nobody's going to do. It's Carey Price. We just watched <laughs> him go in the playoffs this entire time, where we're like, man, this guy, like big game. There's the aura. There's he makes everybody play better in front of him. He's calm. He's cool. He just killed the Leafs. Leafs were number one in the NHL in the North Division this season. They looked like one of the best teams they'd ever assembled. Maybe we were a little wrong off it, but Carey Price just slaughtered him. He was like, yep, guess what? You guys think you're going to score on me? Absolutely not. I've never seen Austin Matthews miss the net so much, right? Matthews is trying to yeah. pick top corners. That's all he's shooting at because he knows it's the only prayer he has to beat Carey Price. You have a chance to get him in the building. You have a chance to have a couple good years of Carey Price, and you're like, nah, we're going with Chris Dreger because we don't want to pay cap hit this. You have Ron yeah. Francis making no trades this week, essentially, because he's like, we're not trading anything because cap space is the most valuable thing. And I said it off yeah. the top of the show. I'm like, did he overvalue the cap space? And now I'm having this conversation with you. I'm like, no, he properly rated it because there's nothing more valuable in the NHL to these guys than cap space. Space. Like it's more yeah. valuable than superstars, and that's proof because we just saw them pass on Carey Price. We just saw them pass on. I'm not really a Tarasenko guy, but it's like we saw them pass on yeah, JVR. Oh, yeah. We saw like for a guy, they saw pass on JVR and Gosses Bear and all these other guys. Like for someone I never heard of, right? Like Vorch, yeah. like all these guys are available from the Flyers. Mm-hmm. Took a guy I'd never heard of once in my life. He could walk in this room and be like, "I'm in the NHL." I'd be like, "Sure, you are, bud." Uh, pools out back. Like <laughs> I don't think. I know, like, of course space. you're going to expose. Of course you're going to expose like big contracts of course but like mm-hmm. you know just wild to see these names uh and these guys that have put up the numbers that they've put up and yeah the, the, the numbers are big but like that they just didn't want to touch them all because of that it's just like wild hey yeah it was wild dude, again it's and wild but, it's, to see. It's, but what's wild is the amount of fans that you have fostered now because the cap has been around long mm-hmm. enough that there's a whole new generation of fans that it's like they're all little pseudo GMs. And I used to be the same way too with wanting to do trades and I'd play, you know, NHL and I'd have all the lines be on the trades, know every guy on every single team because I was playing the video games and also watching the league. But now you have people who care more about the salary cap than the players. You have people that care way more about the contracts than about any other story in the sport. You have people who turn on good players, myself included, who gets like super pissed at a young player like Mitch Marner who has a bad playoffs and goes, you got to get this out of town because of the contract instead of like, hey, this is part of the process of having a team grow and build and it just sucks. Like yeah. there's, just, there's no good mm-hmm. part about it other than for the owners who get to keep everything flat and never have the pressure of going into the luxury tax or into a higher number and everybody else is a loser and we're all sitting here fighting about different things that 
really don't matter. It's just all it needs to be is adjustments to the cap. And and for whatever reason, everyone in hockey is so complicit with this too because every like every analyst, every person around the game is like, well, the owners will never do it. And I'm always like, yeah, I guess with that attitude of everybody just accepting that that's the case, like, I guess with no one ever yeah. addressing this issue, I guess with everyone just saying, well, that's the cap and that's a cap league and that's the reality and you got to be more diligent in the cap and it's harder to win and blah, blah, blah. It's not harder to win. It just takes more luck. Like, you got to be luckier. You know what? That's what I loved. Like, and that's where the narrative started. Like, it's a young, it's, this is, what, you know, I was still kind of playing. It's, it's a young man's league. It's a young guy's league. It's young guys. Because yeah, young guys are cheap. Yeah, I get it. Okay. Yeah, yeah. they're good. They're good, but they're cheap. But everyone just bought in. They're like, oh, it's the young guys. Like, and then the World Cup of Hockey came, and Team Europe with all these dusty old European guys went to the final against Canada, and they made it there. And I was loving it. I was loving it. All these like thirty-five-year-old Euro dudes, like just like got to the final in this you know tournament where they had this Team North America twenty-three under team, which was wildly exciting. Yeah, sure. But it's like, yeah, look, like the old goats got there. You know, so like all this stuff has kind of just been. You know, moving along, you know, to what you said about, you know, people just buying into it. But, you know, from a player or a team point of view, like you've got this team, like there's never been like more of a time if I'm on a team that just, you know, just, I know it's hard to do, but just get to the playoffs. Just get to the playoffs. Because yeah. as we've seen, you know, several years over the, you know, however long that every once in a while, like one of these eight seeds or, in the Montreal Canadiens situation, you know, they were mm-hmm. way out of it. Dude, Even Dallas last Stars year last bubble, year went to the Cup got, Finals like, and then they're into out. The play out. Yeah. yeah, exactly. You think back to Philly losing to Chicago, they were like the eighth place team as well years ago. Mm-hmm. And it's like, that's all you got to do is get in and you could go on a run because every, you know, parody.